Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 231 and this episode is with the Head of Performance and Health at Millwall, Dave Carolan. Dave was on the podcast way back on the 25th of April 2019. Can't believe it's been that long since we did the last one. That was episode 26 of the podcast. There was loads of great takeaways in that episode, but obviously quite a bit has happened in that time. So we spoke about a number of different areas, and this podcast is definitely going to be a huge benefit to anyone looking to get into sports science and early on in their careers. We spoke about why Dave thinks that coaches pursue careers in football, whether that's sports science, strength conditioning, physiotherapy, just generically um, careers in football. We spoke about what he thinks some expectations are of the industry from people coming into it. So when students are coming through, what they expect. We talked about some of the positives of working in sports science and S&C. Obviously, we've discussed in previous episodes around um, keeping in mind your personal values and making sure that the role fits with that and trying to avoid burnout, some really important factors. But also, some of the we spoke on this episode about some of the positives of working within these roles also what Dave thinks it takes to be a success in the industry as well. And some of his top advice for young coaches too. So loads of great stuff in this one from Dave Carolan. Just a heads up before we get into the podcast. Thursday the 6th of April, 6 till 9pm. That is our next confirmed networking event. That is over in Dublin at the National Games Development Centre and it's we've got two brilliant speakers lined up, Director of Coaching and Performance at Satanta College, Des Ryan, and Men's National Team Sports Scientist at the Scottish FA, Shane Murphy. They're both going to be presenting for us at that evening, at that event. Tickets are still available. As this episode goes out, the early bird actually finishes tomorrow, which is on Thursday. So if you listen to this and you are interested in coming, make sure you act fast to get the early bird prices. But there are plenty of tickets still available. Please give it a share out to anyone that you think will be interested. It's set to be a top evening. We've already got a fair few coaches booked onto the evening. So I'm really excited to see everybody there. I put on our socials a few weeks ago that we wanted to try and get our reviews on the podcast to 100 reviews. We are at 87 now. We are getting there. So thank you to everybody that's left a review recently. That's 87 five-star reviews, which is incredible. So thank you very much for the support. I'm just going to read the latest one. It says, Essential Listening. This podcast should be at the forefront of anyone's mind who works in SNC or performance sport. Lots of incredible experiences to draw upon with some really good insights to take away and help practitioners develop and learn. If you've not left us a review already, please do. It does help massively. You can do it over on Apple um, or on the podcast app, um, a podcast app even by searching Football Fitness Federation. Click the five stars, leave us a short review. Or if you're listening on Spotify, which I know a lot of people do, just simply click the five stars. You don't need to leave a written review. It would really help the podcast out. So I really, really would appreciate it. Just before we get into it, a massive thank you as always to our sponsors. First up, Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? For pro sports teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe and scalable allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize athletic potential like never before. 
whether in the change room post game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hydro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. So go and check them out at hydro.com or email teamsales at hydro.com to find out how Hydro BFR can give your squad a competitive edge. Also, a huge thank you to Rezzle doing some incredible work in VR, um, in the rehab side of things in terms of performance and also testing as well. Keep up the great work, Rezzle. Some incredible work, some incredible teams signing up to the platform as well. Make sure you go and check them out at Rezzle. And let's go and get into episode 231 with Head of Performance and Health at Millwall, Dave Carolan. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 231. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Dave Carolan, Head of Performance and Health at Millwall. Dave, how are we doing? All good, thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me on here again. It must be that uh, the previous one wasn't good enough, so we've had to do a follow-up, but there we are. You know what? It's not that. And it's been well too long. When I look back, I was I actually feel like, because we've had a few conversations that haven't been recorded, I feel like we've recorded about five podcasts and we've actually only ever done one, <laughs> which is disgraceful, Dave. You need to be on more. There's, there's certainly the odd gold nugget that's been dropped in those conversations. Nothing too controversial that's ever gone out on air, but who knows where we'll end up going today, pal. <laughs> no, I'd recommend people to go and listen back because we were just trying to work out where you were at and, and in terms of career. And I know um, since that point, obviously, I've just mentioned you, your job at Millwall. So how's things going at the club? Yeah, we're having a great season so far. Uh, as we speak today, we're sat in sixth in the championship, um, building on the previous two or three years where we've slowly been progressing from kind of 10th uh, or so and each year getting a little bit better we've been, we've tried to improve the environment here we've tried to upskill the people bring in better players where we can and uh overall the the, the project if you like to call it that is uh is progressing well um and we're now giving ourselves a realistic chance of having a a really good season and and building and who knows where that can take us um, should we maintain our form and our progress um, towards the end of the season Brilliant well fingers crossed for you mate I saw you put on LinkedIn I think it was last week 25 seasons 1200 competitive games I think it was That's it but yeah you, so You're listening to someone now who's got a serious amounts of experience so you need to be in, getting your notepads out getting your pens out because we're going to discuss some, we're going to dive into Dave's career so far and get some wisdom out of him around careers because I think there's a lot of discussion that goes on around sort of sports science and SNC careers in football at the moment and it'd be great to get your perspective on it. Um, I'm going to start, Dave. Why do you think we've got so many coaches, young coaches, students coming through pursuing careers in football in strength conditioning and sports science? 
I think over over the 20 odd years that I've been doing this, the industry has grown exponentially and the amount of opportunities that are now available for students, um, for practitioners who are coming in from other walks of life, you know, whether they've been PTs or whatever, who want to become involved in professional sport and especially in football has grown immeasurably. So I think there's certainly been a long, hard road that's been um I suppose at the start it was a jungle and now it's a motorway. If you want to have a career in this industry, the pathway is made for you. You can jump on. You know what the opportunities are in terms of different roles, uh, the level that you might want to work at. It's well established, the career path now for a young practitioner who wants to come into this industry. And that's fantastic. It means that they should be coming into the industry with open eyes of knowing if I do these qualifications, if I do these vocational um awards if i spend time on task i can have a really rewarding career working in professional sport and who doesn't want to be involved in some of the most exciting uh sports in the world or working with some of the best athletes in the world if that's your chosen profession it's it's really a great time to be getting involved in that and and so much so that my own son now is uh in his second year studying for his sports science degree so so uh, the apple hasn't fallen too far from the tree, but it must mean that somewhere along the line, he's seen that this must be a good industry and good career to get involved with. That's brilliant. I didn't realise that. That is absolutely quality. So another Caroline coming through to take over, yeah? Yeah. Uh, my wife has told me officially I can't retire until I've got him somewhere into the industry. I don't know how that's going to happen, but um, yeah, he's he's doing okay at the moment. He's got some skill sets that he's picked up. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, just on that, I wanted to talk around career or industry expectations. So when there are young practitioners coming through, what do you think their expectations are going into a career in terms of sort of working hours, salary, everything involved in the job and how realistic do you think they are? Yeah, I think there's certainly been a more visibility around what the demands of the careers are in um, in recent times. I suppose when we were starting out, there was nobody to lean on. Um, we were effectively going into this industry blind. I suppose we were creating the industry. Um, a lot of the, the early practitioners uh, feeling our way in the dark. And eventually we probably created the boundaries that exist now. Um, some would say they're too wide. Um, but for a young practitioner coming in now, the, the the hours that they're going to be expected to do, the salary expectation that they're going to walk into, they're, they're pretty well established now. It's it's quite easy for someone who wants to uh, work as a, a young strength and conditioning coach or as a sports scientist now in professional football to understand before they take that career choice what the demands are going to be. And the, they're certainly demanding you know it's professional sport um the social uh, expectation around hours that are going to be given the things that you're going to have to sacrifice along the way and that's time and that's events and that's uh getting to see family or spending time with friends um i think for for sports science or strength and conditioning or working in any professional sport it's it's no different to a lot of other careers that you really have to be willing to put the sacrifice in especially at the start um in order to build 
I suppose the the currency that you can then trade in at a later time that allows you to work a little bit more relaxed, maybe for a higher salary and with more amenable hours. I don't think you've seen much um, experience of this going on, but do you think it's different now with practitioners coming through in terms of seeking out like unpaid opportunities, going, picking up unpaid work before they actually land, whether it's a, a paid internship or um, the first role at a, a club, do you feel like they're still willing to go out and do that work? I, I think there certainly are a lot of people like when you speak to course practitioners um, or course leaders on, on university courses, I speak to Chris Neville quite a lot and other guys, um, they they still value that experience that students can go in either during a course on a sandwich year or post the qualifications of going in and doing an internship or a work experience. Um, it's certainly going to allow you to see what that industry is going to look like before you decide, okay, I'm going to take a job and I'm going to move somewhere. Um, I, I think as a, in, in, in any industry, you're going to have to get your boots on the ground and actually do some of the work to understand what it's all about and whether you actually like it or not. And unfortunately, there's so many students. I know that in your um, in your previous chat with, with Tony, he, he leaned in on this as well, which is just so many students that there really is uh, an oversupply and we just don't have the roles to be able to give to people. And that maybe plays against the industry in some ways in that th there are people who are always going to fill in an unpaid internship or work experience. And maybe some clubs will have to exploit that because they don't have the finances. They don't have the resources to be able to employ a team of five or seven or nine, as as, as Strudge was talking about. But um, I, I think also... We as industry leaders, as uh, people in clubs, should be trying our best to try where we can to maximize the earning potential of young people coming into the industry. And that is to be fair to them in terms of the expectation. So if you are having somebody in who's going to be unpaid, don't expect them to be in all day, every day and giving them all of the jobs to do. You know, be fair with these people that they they get an enriched experience when they come and do it and they're treated fairly and where you can can you reward them at some of the more established clubs i suppose they've gone down the route of effectively doing bursaries or linking up with other universities that when you're doing a postgraduate qualification that will effectively be embedded within a club so the club will be paying some of that um bursary um the student will be paying maybe their fees and you work together for three or four years and again i know a lot of guys who've gone down that way um which has allowed them to get their feet under the table to get all of the experience to get the post-grad qualification and it, it looks pretty nice but certainly if if you were coming out of university now i think you have to be willing to do the work it may be unpaid it may not be as such completely where you'd want the industry to be. But unfortunately, if we don't offer those opportunities to students and to graduates, we may not be able to offer them anything at all. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, you touched on that in terms of not essentially giving them too much 
in terms of hours or responsibility at that time. Where's the line between that and people talk about like throwing them in at the deep end, like testing them out? Like, where's that line, do you think? Yeah, great question. Yeah, where is that line? It, it's hard to say. If if you're working, say, in an academy, it may be that your your day is shifted. You know, it could be that you're just working afternoons and evenings or you're working early mornings into the early afternoon. If you're in the first team, it could be working through the main part of the day, but you might be finished by, I don't know, three o'clock or something like that, but you might have been in, in the building at seven. Um, it, it's so difficult. It also depends on the person. I myself would have been somebody who'd want to be there all day. You know, that was just my expectation around the job I was going to do. It's going to be seven in the morning. Well, it never used to be seven in the morning. I think there's also been a bit of a rat race to the bottom as well, whereas uh, people have started coming in earlier and earlier and leaving later and later to almost have that, um, you know, badge of honour around like, I'm first in and last out, and that's a good thing. I don't necessarily agree with that. I try and encourage my staff to get in, be efficient with the time, and when they need to leave, they leave. You know that 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 also improves their kind of time efficiency. As long as we've got the work done and it's done well, then there's no problem with people if they've ended up with a shorter day on some days. Because I know when it comes to the demands of the big days, when when it's preseason or when we're doing back to back days. Um, because we've had, say, we've had seven games in about four weeks. I'm going to have to put demands on the guys to be in earlier or later and doing work on days off as such to make sure that we've boxed everything off. But th- that's the expectation of the job as well. We we have to serve the job and serve the players and the coaches w- what we need to do. And if that takes a long time, that takes a long time. You know, um, my wife's a teacher she'll be working on a Saturday and Sunday doing planning. You know, if you sign up for being a teacher, that's what goes with the job now. It's not ideal, but it's unfortunately where the industry has gone. And we can try and rail against that and say the industry should match what we need to give the practitioners. But very quickly, you'll find that if you're not matching what the industry wants from you, then there may not be an industry for you to work in. Yeah, that's a great point. In terms of standouts for you, Dave, when you when you're seeing students coming into the club, or even even coaches that are more experienced, when you're um, putting out roles to employ, what are some standouts for you? Not necessarily in terms of sort of technical skills, but what is it with a person where you might be like, oh, I, I like that. Well, there's so many, I suppose. When you look at it, you, you again, you need those people with the personality that can walk into a professional sporting environment and fit in with the players the athletes the coaches the other staff this other support staff that are around the building you have to kind of wear a number of different hats at different times um you need to be able to to blend in as well know when it's a time to step forward know when it's a time to step back um you don't always have to be at the front um leading sometimes you're going to be at the back supporting um so that that's certainly another key skill set um attention to detail is one i put a lot of story in you know that you, you need to make sure you're on, on your brief um and you understand how that works and how that interacts with other parts of the uh organization so just being an snc coach who's based in the gym you need to understand the game you need to understand the rehab you need to understand the demands of the coaches you also need to understand the the complexity of the athlete as well, you know, that they're going to go through different periods where they're going to need 
you know, maybe more carrot, less stick, and then sometimes that's going to change as well. So um, that that comes with time. You don't expect somebody to walk into the building necessarily as a young practitioner and have those skills. And and certainly a good career development plan will have you trying to upskill not only the hard kind of theory that you've come in with you then need to learn the environment you need to learn those soft skills that everyone talks about um they need to be developed and i suppose there's a, a great onus on on those of us who are employing people to make sure that there is a program really to allow someone to become embedded into the organization and develop those skill sets and put them in positions where for example, they're going to have to sit in front of the manager and start to explain why we've got this type of rehab program going or why you chose to do that type of conditioning or rationalize why you're going to do that type of plan for the next six weeks for an individual player. Um, and I, I try to do that where I can with the staff to give them those opportunities to as such front up, but also um, gain experience because it, I suppose you can have experience by just doing time on task and being in an organization for a length of time. But what you also have to gain is experiences of, you know, whether that's on a grander scale of a prom promotion, relegation, something like that, but also lead, uh, lead a department for a period of time, deal with the manager, have a confrontation with a player, which is going to be maybe a bit more spicy we need to also see that we can build the characters and the leaders for our industry for the future. And they're only going to get that by sometimes the old guys like me getting out of the way and allowing them to step forward and go into those spaces. Yeah, I love that. That's brilliant. Experience first experiences. I think that's, that's a great point. I wanted to ask as well, there's a lot made, you mentioned before, like the roles and sort of negative press that comes out around salary and things like that. Obviously, 25 seasons, Dave, it's, it's not put you off staying in football. So I wanted to talk around some of the positives. This might sound like an obvious question, but some of the positives of working in the roles that you've been in. Well, I think, number one, it's given me a long career. You know, yes, I may have a certain amount of survivor bias there going on because I've got to this kind of length of time on task and um, and certainly there's a few other guys who've also done that and credit to them. They've stuck with it. And maybe we've seen the careers develop with us. Um, you know, maybe having the opportunity to work with top athletes, working with top coaches, um, developing athletes, developing coaches, it, it's quite enriching that it, no season's ever the same. You know, you're always going to be stressed in different ways. You know, you can be at the same club one year and you're, you're going for promotion and the following year you've got promotion and now you're facing relegation, you know, and that's, in the space of 12 months, you're going through hugely different challenges, different um, emotions. You're seeing managers come and go. You're having to adapt to all of those. And I don't think I would have been as satisfied in a lot of other industries where it would be the same year, year on year, you know, where you're just effectively almost like a factory worker, like the old Henry Ford, you're just doing the same job again and again and again. Um, there's no week that's the same. There's no year that's the same or season. You're always challenged. And that could be because you're working in the Premier League or you're in League One or you're working in the conference. You know, every year should be stimulating you in some way. And if you're not coming out of each 
season, having learned something about yourself or about your industry, then you really haven't, I think, had your eyes wide open and taken in all these different kind of stimuluses that you could have gained knowledge from and experience from. So I, I think that's that's one of the reasons why I've kind of really stuck at it for 25 years is just knowing that what I'm experiencing right now, I'm probably not going to experience again. And I'll have something new to see me next season and the year after, you know, that's probably what's kept the kind of the flame burning with me. Yeah. I love it. I asked this to Tony in terms of um, being best in class or, an, or, or success in the industry, whether it's sports science, S and C, what do you, what would your advice be for coaches on really not just being in a job, being in that environment, but really raising to the top? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a real challenging question because for everybody's perspective of where they want to go with, with, their, where, with their career is going to be a little bit different. But I think if you want to be best in class, and again, I, I wouldn't be so, so vain as to put myself anywhere near the best in class in anything, but um I, I think you've got to have a real passion for for your industry and decide what's going to stimulate you you know certainly as as a generalist at the start i was able to have all of those experiences you know so you know one morning i'm i'm a sports scientist then by the afternoon i'm a strength and conditioning coach then i'm planning the nutrition and then i'm doing performance analysis and that's all on one day you know that that was great because i could almost play with all of them but I could decide which one was really floating my boat more than another one so um and then as time's grown on you realize actually the ones that you either are not as strong as because nobody's going to be excellent at everything so you recognize maybe where some of your weaknesses are or where you can also give a better service in the program that you're delivering by employing better people you know and you've got to be able to stick your ego to one side and go, right, fine. I'm not the best at nutrition, but I can get a better nutritionist. And now the nutrition service at the club has gone up. And then suddenly you're adding more technology, say to performance analysis or whatever. And you realize, okay, this brings additional benefits over and above it just being faster or quicker to do whatever task it was. It gives me better insights. So I think all the way along to try and stay ahead, um, like even this season, I think we've had five different innovative technologies that we've tried to embrace, tried to work with, tried to see how it could give us not necessarily a competitive advantage, because I don't think we're ever at the point where we're dealing with the one percenters. We're not dealing with one percenters here at Millwall. We're dealing with the other 99% of the stuff that we were trying to get right. But, you know, be that some of the current technologies that we have that we're trying to improve on because there's now a better version from a different manufacturer or that we're looking at something that we don't have and maybe we could integrate it into the program. So I think always being inquisitive, always being willing to reflect on what you're currently doing. Is it the best that you can do? And there's nothing wrong with if you can't reach best of class because you don't have the resources, but it doesn't mean you yourself can't be aware and on top of the current um, or even future technologies, methods, learnings that are out there. So I think it's staying inquisitive all of the time is going to keep you probably towards the, the cutting edge, if not at the leading edge. 
If you are not already a member of our online community, now is a great time to join. We've got some content coming very soon. We've got a speed webinar, an athlete mental well-being webinar, plyometrics webinar, and also the presentations from our Dublin event will be uploaded onto the community as well from Des Ryan and Shane Murphy. We've also dropped loads of great content recently too including a weightlifting webinar from Professor of Strength Conditioning at Salford Unity at University, even Professor Paul Comfort. That's available to watch right now on the platform. If you're not already a member, if you're not already signed up, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, get yourself signed up, and you'll get one month free on the community to see what it's all about. After your free month, it's only £4.99 per month going forward. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign yourself up there and get yourself a 30-day free trial. Back to the podcast with Head of Performance and Health at Millwall, Dave Carolan. Do you think that's been common? Because you mentioned before, Dave, about when you were starting out, like whether your hours were shorter, you were still at the training ground. Obviously, that inquisitive nature has been something that's run through your career. Do you think that's just for people like yourself? Do you think there's other people that need to work on that? And and is that the passion then? Do you think that's an, an area that we need to be focusing on? Yeah, I think that is that is a really good way of surmising it. I've got a passion for this industry. I have a passion for my work. Um, the passion gets raised even more once you've got a family to feed as well. So staying in the game now becomes not more of a choice it becomes a necessity um and therefore going back to what we said at the start there's so many students following us up if you imagine like there's this torrent of talent that's following us um and who want our job you know i once uh, had an interview with somebody who's like gone on to have a fantastic career in sports science and when they came to interview for the job and i said what's your expectation in the next three to five years and they said i i want your job um and he wasn't talking about a job like mine he was talking about my job so you realize at that point okay this is not going to stop there's always going to be somebody who's coming behind who wants to take that role and once they do take that role because either you leave effectively that's another door closed um and another opportunity for someone like myself to take that role is now gone so the amount of roles become fewer so you you certainly got to stay i suppose um yeah ready to to just keep going with that kind of career where it's the inquisitiveness means yeah there there isn't really um an option for you not to have the passion to stay on top of it because if i didn't have the passion and i didn't have the inquisitiveness i'd just be going along and trying not to get sacked as mm-hmm. opposed to what myself and the manager talk about all the time is innovation. How can we be better? How do we refine what we're doing even more to try and gain a little bit more advantage either <clears throat> for the team or for ourselves and how we do our practice because we're constantly reflecting on what we do. Like, did we do that well enough? How do we tweak that drill to make it a little bit better? And if I was, if the passion had gone, I just probably wouldn't do that. I could probably knock off at two o'clock every day and just be at home. Whereas I'll probably be here till like six, half six tonight, you know, still doing something. 
Yeah, but also you could probably say that if the passion wasn't there, you won't you won't be in that role, whether it was your choice or others, wouldn't you? Like that that's essentially what would happen. Yeah, and, and other people recognize it pretty quick. Everyone can recognize someone who's done, you know. Yeah. Whether that's a player who's like effectively given up on their time at a club. Like we can everybody talks about it, but how many times do we hold up a mirror and say, you know, how how have I got better this year? How am I making people around me better this year? How's my program got better this year? Because if you don't reflect on what you've done, um, then you're you're really just walking blindfold around the place, you know. And uh, at some stage, you're going to walk into something that you're probably not going to want to have walked into, which could be career ending. And then you become one of those people who's on the outside looking in, and now you're trying to get. You're trying to pick up players to do work with externally because, you know, that becomes your only way of really keeping in contact with the industry that you were previously submerged in. And and now you're, you're on the outside looking in. You just said about that sort of wave of new practitioners coming in. Where do you see the future of our industry, whether that is sports science SNC, whatever we want to talk about. Where do you see the future going? In terms of like careers and jobs, do you think we're going to have more opportunities available at more clubs? Do you feel like it's going to be a similar amount, but we're just going to have to just raise the standard of what we're doing? Where do you see it? Yeah, I don't know where we go in terms of whether we've hit saturation point with the amount of opportunities that are available within organisations, clubs and different sports. Um I do reflect on, say, on salaries and things like that, if I can take a slight um, tangent, but um, where people said we're not investing enough in in the people. And I remember when we started, there was one person per club. And so I started at Norwich. I was doing it for the whole club, academy, first team, everything. Um, whereas if you probably went to Norwich now, I dare say there's – let's say there's 20 people involved in some form of performance support. So be that nutritionists, analysts, data scientists, strength and conditioning coaches, sports scientists. Now you think about the commitment from a club, which, and I don't mind saying, when I started at Norwich, I'm on 18,000 pounds and I'm doing everything for the club. You think if there's 20 people now in a, a club like that, and each of them are on, let's say, an average of, 25,000 just to take the top earners down and the lower earners up. That's half a million pounds now that clubs are investing into roles within the organization. And of course, everyone wants to say, like, I should be paid more. And that can, I'm not saying we shouldn't be paid more. We need to fight to try and make sure that we are paid probably what we're worth. But it's also unfair, I think, to say that clubs really aren't doing their bit at the same time. Now, of course, not every club is doing that. Not every club is investing how they should do. And that needs to probably be a, a fight that we take on as an industry. Um, but certainly from my perspective, I think that uh, on the salary side, I think we need to balance uh, individual expectation around salary with club commitment to an industry. And I think if you probably were to extrapolate now across the whole of the um, the top four divisions in football in this country, you'd see that clubs are actually committing serious amounts of money to performance sciences, be that strength conditioning, sports science, and so on. Um, so, yeah, I know I went on a little bit of a tangent there, but, um, yeah, if, if you don't mind, bring me back to the question. 
<laughs> no, no, I think it's really important to cover that because obviously we've we've spoke about this a lot. Like I said, not necessarily recorded, but we've had these conversations a lot. You said there about like improving worth because I think that's what a lot of it comes back to, isn't it? Obviously, we can say clubs are investing this amount. These are the wages that are available. And maybe some clubs should value practitioners more. So in, in terms of like us improving the worth of what we do and maybe getting the understanding out a bit more about what we do and the impact that we can have, how do you think we can go about that? Yeah, I think the promotion of our industry has not been done well. Um, and we have to be really careful to tell this, the story of what we do um, and, and how we do it and how we benefit players and so on and so forth. Um, I think as an industry, we're quite knowledgeable among ourselves, aren't we, about what we do. Everybody kind of knows the kind of work that goes on, be it on the SNC side, analysis side, nutrition, so on. Um, I, I don't think that's too much of a too much of a story to tell, but to maybe the people higher up in the food chain within within the clubs or externally, we need to tell more of a story about how we're actually trying to improve the players how we're trying to support the players, especially when they're injured. You know, there's some great work going on on psychology now and trying to improve the kind of mental mental health side of the club. Um, that That's certainly gaining an awful lot of traction, but maybe less so is like all the work that's going in through multiple departments and multiple practitioners on how they are doing their bit to support these athletes that we see out and about. And, and maybe at some stage, the athletes have to, help tell that story as well, you know, and, and recognize um, the fact that there are backroom staff across, um, across the globe who are unrecognized. Um, you can go to many club websites and they won't even state the names of some of the staff who are doing that. Um, there's no directory that you can go to and find. I mean, I, I loosely started to do one a few years ago, but what you find very quickly is, to keep up with something like that, there's an awful lot of churn in our industry of people moving clubs and the clubs themselves probably don't make it easy to actually understand who are these people who are supporting the athletes, supporting the team, you know, because they'll see a load of tracksuits on a Saturday on a pitch and maybe nobody cares, but maybe clubs should promote some of these guys who are uh, and girls who are doing great work with the athletes and the teams and the coaches. I think you're right. I think it needs to come back to that, doesn't it, to really push the value of what we do. Um, it'll be really interesting to have conversations with people in those roles or even externally to actually ask a question around what does a sports scientist do? What does an SNC coach do at a club? And just to see what answers we get. Because I think it'll probably be touching, scraping the surface, wouldn't it, in terms of the actual impact that they have and the roles that they do. Yeah, I, th I think that there's the visible roles, aren't they? You know, there's the guys that they see on a match day, which for most fans and most people is, you know, the physio and the doctor running on the pitch, doing their work. It's the sports scientist is doing the warm-up and handing out drinks. Everybody sees that. But there's so, many, so much other work that goes on that's unseen, you know, probably invisible to most fans. And there could be an argument for saying, well, why do we need to talk about it? You know, you don't, you go watch an orchestra, you don't find out who the tuba player is. You're just interested in the conductor, aren't you? You know, and um, and, and maybe the, the kind of main violin player or something like that. Those positions we kind of see, that that's the 
players, that's the manager. Everybody knows who they are. They get enough press coverage. Um, and I'm not saying that we all need press coverage, but we probably also need recognition. You know, there's there's certainly no reason why on most of the well, websites they can't recognize the, the soft tissue therapist, the podiatrist, the chiropractors that come in and do their little bit of work as well. You know, they 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 help keep the players healthy. They help keep the players performing. The players recognize it, but maybe it doesn't get talked about enough. But as an industry also, we've not had anybody beating that drum for us. You know, we've beaten it to ourselves. We all know what's going on, but we need to get that story out there. We need to tell more stories about some of the great work that's going on. Um, it tends only ever to get highlighted when there's something massive happens, like... Um, you know, certainly on the medical side where the Fabrice Moamba or where Christian Eriksen, where certainly everybody recognizes the good work going on. I'm not saying that uh, those stories should not be told because they're hugely important about the general public knowing that the players from a health and wellness point of view are supported unbelievably. But on the day-to-day stuff, like who makes these guys so fast, so strong, so athletic, well, it's all of these people who sat in the background, you know, and uh, I know some clubs now have got, got two buses. I think Tony, again, on his on his podcast, talked about having now two buses going to games. But that's what that's what we need now to service the players, you know, because we're taking more players and they've got greater demands. So let's recognise these folk. On those demands, Dave, we can't not touch on the external practitioners. Yes. Obviously, you listen to Tony, you heard him speak about it and his views on it and the transparency that, that's needed between both sides. Um, what are your thoughts about going forward, working players working with external coaches? Yeah, we've, we've seen this growing for a number of years. You know, it's it's not new. It's probably becoming a bit more common. Um, it's more widespread that there, there are more players who've got maybe more capacity, be that money-wise or, or time-wise, to engage with external uh, professionals in a whole wide range of of um, services. So that could be strength conditioning, but it could be nutrition. It could be a chef. It could be somebody who organizes the life with logistics. There's so many things that these players potentially, certainly at the top end, can afford to have their lives potentially made easier. Um we're also in that kind of millennial culture of me. You know, I don't want, I think as Seth Golden said, I don't want email, I want me-mail. I just want it about me. So I want, I don't want to wait for a massage. I want to turn up and have a massage. I don't want to be fourth in the queue at the club because there's only two when there's 20 people. So I'll just leave now. I'll leave the training ground and I'll go back to my, my house or I'll go to my facility and I'll have the massage I want when I want it with the guy who's going to give it to me. So I think we have to be cognizant of the fact that players want a wraparound service for themselves. Um, now, now we here as a club and me as a professional, I've always tried to stress to the players that the trans actual nature of allowing them to do that means there's responsibility on them and the external practitioner to engage with us as much as possible that they should be letting us know what they're doing with the player because 
we can feed information into them about what the demands of training have been and what we're potentially planning to do. We're obviously not going to tell them our training plan um, so that they can wrap services that they are going to, the player's going to do it, whether you like it or not. They're either going to do it in full visibility or they're going to do it cloak and dagger. So let's just create the conversation. So we're, we're trying to have that as part of now the player's kind of almost terms and conditions if you are not quite under contract, but terms and conditions, the kind of um, expectations on the players now that if they do engage with somebody in what, whichever service, if they're using a nutritionist, just let us know what they're doing with you. If they're using an SNC coach or an individual coach, we're not here to stop them being better, you know, but we just need to ensure that we manage it correctly and that the engagement piece with the external provider is just one that if they don't want to engage with us within the organization it just makes it more difficult for us to allow the player to do that and we don't really want to stand in the way but if there is no communication then it just becomes a bit of a trust issue i suppose between why is the player engaging with somebody who won't engage with us um but from the other side from the flip side of us as an industry there's not enough work in all the clubs for all the guys who want to work in this organization. So they're going to go out there and they're going to seek trying to work with players who maybe they've worked with before. We've not, we know a lot of guys who've left working within the, uh, within the professional football environment and gone and started working for themselves and working with individual players. The only thing I'd be concerned about is if you leave an organization and then you immediately start working with the players in the organization you've left straight away. To me, that's effectively making use of your employment to create yourself a different career where you're effectively piggybacking on the fact that you've had the opportunity at a club and then you effectively are just saying, well, I can make more money or have a far better lifestyle by just offshoring this one level. And now, the place where you were probably saying you were unhappy with, you've now become, it's a classic poacher becomes gamekeeper, doesn't it? You know? So I think yeah. we have to be careful of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Very interesting. Dave, I want to move on to some of the quick fire questions that we finished the podcast with now. So I've not give you the heads up. On okay. The, God, we've flown through that, haven't we? We have, we have. Um, I wanted to ask, this will be interesting, 25, 25 seasons, all those competitive games, who've been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Okay, so I probably need to section this off. Um, so people that I've worked with um, as a practitioner, um, Joe Dunbar, without a doubt, is my number one guy, my mentor, my kind of best mate. Um, in this industry and a good friend outside of it. So Joe's guided me along the way. He was the one who got me into football um, at Norwich 25 years ago. Um, and I speak to Joe all the time. So certainly as a, on a practitioner level and friend level in this industry, Joe, um, from a coaching point of view, um, Obviously, I've, I've worked with about 14, 15 different managers, so I've got to be careful not to cherry-pick too many. But the two I've worked with the longest, which probably serves to say that there was a great element of trust and understanding, was Gary Rowett, who I'm with here now at uh, Millwall, but I've worked with at four other clubs, and Nigel Worthington. Very, very similar in terms of their outlook, their coaching styles, their personalities. I think um, 
there was a great kind of uh, dual trust between both managers and myself to allow each other to work in the spaces that we need to work with and giving each other that kind of uh, understanding that I can be distant or I can be close, I can be left alone or we can work together. And, and that's really good. Um, and then, yeah, players. I mean, you, you can't work with athletes for this amount of time and not learn from them, you know. So be that a Dion Dublin who comes in with a career that he's had or somebody like a Darren Huckabee on an athletic level is just off the charts. You know, they're, they're probably two standout guys who you just go in terms of athletes who were leaders and well-recognized, but then seen some great guys come up through from, you know, kids all the way through to full internationals, you know, Robert Green was one at Norwich. Um, so it's great to watch a journey happen, not just have somebody parachute in who's already had the career and then you learn off them. Seeing somebody go on that journey from academy player to full international was fantastic as well. And if you need a new property, you can reach out to Dion Dublin and sort you out. Yeah, yeah, as long as you go up the stairs to the bedrooms. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, we mentioned about sort of players, superpowers all the time and super strengths and things like that. Like, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Oh, I think I'm approachable. You know, I don't, I think as, uh, not all the players might think that, but generally speaking, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to them. You know, it's, it's, I may have some wriggle room in terms of my decision-making. You know, they're not going to be able to just come in and say something and I'm going to, like, bend over and it's going to completely change the programme. Um, but but I'm approachable in terms of if they want to come and have a chat about something and we need to augment the, the programme in any way, we can do that. So um, I, I think I'm someone who's got... Um, what's the old phrase I've got beliefs but if you don't like those I've got some others as well so um, we can always we can always flex the program um, around the athlete and they've got to know that they are able to uh, to come to you to be able to have that discussion um, but they also need to know that you're not a pushover as well and that's one of the things that I suppose is the difference between being liked and being respected um, and I'd far rather be beyond the respect respected side of it because players are going to try and manipulate your athletes going to try and manipulate you all the time you need to have some hard and fast kind of beliefs um and, and they need to know as well that it's it can be built around them you know there, there has to be the athlete in the center of the program um and if enough of them are complaining about the program it's probably telling you they're having discussions that they're not happy about things so be there, be approachable, allow them to come and have the conversation. You can always still say no. Yeah, yeah, great advice. We've, we've sort of touched on advice for young coaches, but if you were able to speak to Dave starting out in that role at Norwich, what would you say to him back then? Oh, definitely have more fun and be be a bit more relaxed. I was far too serious and... um. Yeah, I, I suppose if I was going back, I'd say just enjoy it a bit more. You know, it, uh, it it was it was very very different. Then the athletes, the players were very different. It was it was school of hard knocks. You know, the first four months of my career at Norwich were were hell. You know, because the players didn't know and we didn't know, and they they were trying out everything to try and get away with stuff. I had players you know, parking up outside my house at one o'clock in the morning, beeping the horn saying you can shove your heart rate monitor wherever, you know, because 
they could, you know, they didn't care, you know, whether I had a six month old who was like awake or not. Um, it was tough back then. Uh, I suppose I was too serious. I was trying to fight for fight for sports science. You know, we're going to win and we're going to help you. And these guys weren't ready for them. But actually, if I'd been a bit more engaged and a bit more fun with them, um, a bit more relaxed, I probably would have had a, a an easier ride and be enjoyed it more. So, yeah, I, I would have said like relax and enjoy it. People are going to have taken a lot away from this conversation and also the, a lot of the stuff that you put out, Dave, as well. But what's your approach to continually developing yourself as well? I know you've touched on it a little bit before in terms of innovation, those chats with the manager, but what's your strategy around that? Um, I think employing other inquisitive people, um, other people who've got that similar level of... Um, innovation you know certainly some of the jobs uh i, I advertise it give me an example i advertised a job last year and the strap line was a world seeking an innovative and enthusiastic coach mm -hmm. and it was really interesting when we got to interview stage and you asked somebody what their innovations have been in the last three years and couldn't some could not name any innovation that they had done none in three years as like, right, okay, well, this isn't the type of person who's going to, if, if they're not innovating for themselves, how are they going to innovate for us or for the players or try something different? So I think, um, yeah, that again, coming back to that part again, it's employ other people that you want to have some similar traits to yourself, not always the same because that's just boring and, you know, it's just clones of you, isn't it? But um, I, I certainly think... Uh, having those are the type of people around you when you employ them it's it just keeps you healthy it keeps you on on age um and because you're not doing it alone there's other people trying to do it as well it means it's it's a, just a bit more of a shared ownership so yeah. we've certainly done some stuff this year with nutrition which has been fantastic because it's been really a group think not group think in terms of we're all thinking the same but We've brought four or five people together to try and solve problems around recovery and regeneration and trying to innovate around that. Um, and it's gone down really, really well with the players. They've bought right into it. Um, and that's taken a relatively inexperienced nutritionist, but some experienced practitioners and going, well, we stick them all in the blender and let's see what happens and what comes out. And that's that's proven to be really positive this year. And again, it's not something that's happened at the club here before, as far as I know. Um, in, in the time I've been here, it's not happened, but it, it, that's really added to, right, I like that. I'm stealing that for the next place that I might end up if I end up anywhere else. Brilliant, Dave. It's been absolutely quality having you back on, mate. I really appreciate you doing it. Like I said, I feel like we've done far more than just two podcasts, so we won't leave it as long next time. Um, I'll be keeping a keen eye as well. Obviously, we're getting to crunch time in the season, so hopefully you guys snatch one of them playoff, playoff spots and push on. So all the best with the rest of the season. Thanks, Ben. No, it's been great fun. Hopefully, uh, everyone's stayed awake. Nobody's crashed at the wheel if they're uh, listening to this on a commute. But um, no, thanks for having me on again. Uh, yeah, we'll keep going. Hopefully, end of the season, we get to extend it a little bit um, and, and enjoy the ride. Brilliant, mate. Thanks, Dave. Cheers, Ben. Thank you to Dave for coming on the podcast. It was great to catch up with him. Like I mentioned, we've had a good few chats between the last podcast and this one, but 
it feels weird that we've not actually recorded one in between. So it was great to finally get him back on. I hope you took plenty from it. As always, please give the podcast a share. I've got to say, since the episode with Tony Strudwick, a lot more people are sharing the podcast over on socials. So I really appreciate that. It does help to get the word out. So please continue to do it. And if you've not already left us a review, head over and leave us a five-star review. I really would appreciate that as well. In terms of takeaways on this one, I love the phrase that he used around that it was a jungle, it's now a motorway. When practitioners like Dave were setting out, obviously sports science was very new, very fresh, very raw. They probably fought a hell of a lot of battles to create the opportunities that practitioners have got right now. People like Dave, people like Tony, people like Chris Barnes, a lot of amazing practitioners paved the way for majority of coaches that are working within professional sport, professional football um, right now. So that was a great analogy, was a jungle. It's now a motorway, you've got the signs, you've got the lanes, you know how to go or how to go about it. It's a case of just doing it. But just on that, obviously we touched on the amount of students coming through, the amount of jobs available. It is a case of still doing that hard work and we touched on this as well. That Dave said that he was he was around the training ground all hours, just trying to learn, trying to be that sponge. And as much as we do, we talk about coach well-being. We talk about controlling the controllables and um, putting yourself first and things like that. There has to be a balance between that and actually showing um, hard work, putting some hard work out there and putting the hours in. And that was obviously the inquisitive nature of people like Dave. Um, that wanted to get better and wanted him to improve his practice and I think there's definitely a lesson in there for, for coaches to learn. The other one is the great phrase we used there's a difference between experience and experiences. Obviously for me experience is just literally clocking up maybe days or hours in a certain position but what experiences are you actually experiencing at that time? I think that's something to question and maybe something that you need to be focusing on when you are trying to pick up um, work, whether that's voluntary or paid, are they giving you experiences that you need or is it literally just a case of picking up experience? And I think these are some of the factors that you need to be focusing on as a young practitioner that make you stand out above others. So some brilliant stuff from Dave. I really appreciate him coming on. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please, as always, give it a share and I will speak to you again next week in episode 232.